listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Well, we're going to move into our, our time of teaching, beginning with some scripture reading. We're going to read from Romans 8 today. Out of respect for the word of God, I'd ask you to stand up as we read together. When we finish, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and if you believe that's true, we invite you to respond by saying thanks be to God. This is Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks, Josh. Uh, good morning, Story City family. Uh, my name is... <laughs> good morning. And I said that, I didn't even expect you to say anything back. Uh, my name is Jonathan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here for the Granada Hills location, and I'm one of our directors for Story City Collective. And we say collective um, because we are two churches, uh, we're one church in two locations, and so some of you guys noticed today, uh, Pastor Samir is over at our other location in Burbank, and he's preaching for our family there this morning. And so it's, it's so cool uh, to have the privilege to have multiple, to be led by multiple elder pastors, and there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, I come from a, a church tradition where it's a single uh, uh, leader, single pastor, single elder, and that type of model can be easily abused in the sense of if they, they don't have good accountability. We see so many times, right, in the news or in different things where uh, the pastor does something or he makes a decision or he has some type of character flaw where uh, he is not held accountable. And one of the benefits of having multiple elders is that we are accountable to our other elders and that it's not a single person leading the church, but it's a group of people that are following God's will in his word and following the Holy Spirit, right, into the direction the church should go and so it is a privilege to be a part of that team and we have such great uh, great elders here at the Granada Hills location and it's such a it's such a privilege to serve with them and so um, that's that's what a little bit I just wanted to share with you guys so uh, today we're gonna be in Romans chapter 8 and we're gonna be looking at verses 18 through 30 we read verses 26 through 28 and we're gonna uh, we've been in a series called equipped for depth and restoration in Christ and we're gonna continue that today I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump right in let's pray Father God, we love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word today, God. We thank you for uh, just the fact that you love us. And uh, like the worship band sang today, that you recklessly, uh, without any consideration of your own uh, uh, needs, you, you, you pursue us, God. You, you want to know us. You want us to know you. And God, you want us to have an intimate relationship with you. And God, you gave us your word so that we could understand that. And God, all of history, all of uh, humanity is centered around the person and work of Jesus. And it's all about uh, what you want to do with us and have that relationship. God, we thank you for that. And I pray that you, uh, Holy Spirit, would illuminate our hearts and our minds to your words today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our world 
is broken. I'm not only talking about uh, the things we see around us, but really our experiences in this life. As a human being, you will go through, sometime in your life, the worst thing you've ever been through. And for everyone else, for, for every person, that's, it looks different. I remember when I first, uh, one of the first ways that as an adult I encountered the brokenness of our world. And when I say brokenness, I mean suffering, pain, sickness, death, violence, abuse, all these evil things that we think of. It's all a result of brokenness. And I remember the first time I really truly confronted that uh, was when my daughter, uh, uh, Eliora, so I have two daughters, so I'm trying to remember, uh, when my daughter Eliora was born. And so my daughter, she was actually uh, born in the middle of COVID. And it was right at the height of COVID when a lot of the different things were going on. And my wife actually <laughs> contracted COVID-19 while she was pregnant. And I remember her being in the room and she was sick for a long time and I'd go in and check on her. And she'd be like, oh, I'm getting better, I'm getting better. And I'd be like, oh, you're not looking better, right? Her like face is starting to turn pale. Her lips are starting to uh, turn blue. She's like having a hard time breathing. And she's like, no, no, I'm getting better. I'm getting better I promise and I'm like okay well finally like a, a week and a half goes by we're about to start the, the the second week and she's like I think I need to go to the emergency room and so rush her over there we we, we uh, do the whole check-in thing they take her vitals and they, they put the little oxygen reader on her finger right and her oxygen level I think was at like 93 or something like that it's supposed to be at 98 so immediately they're like we need to put her into the emergency room like she could like skip the whole line okay they're like people were waiting there for like hours she goes straight in she gets a room and they don't let me in because of COVID and so from that point I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering like what's going on, what's gonna happen, right? I'm sitting in the parking lot, it's like four o'clock in the morning and I'm waiting for the doctor to call. They say, don't worry, the ER doctor will call you. And so I'm waiting in the, the parking lot, I'm sitting there, I'm praying, I'm asking God, God, what's going on? God, what's going on? And I get the call from the doctor, he's like, hey, you can't come in the room, we can't have you in the hospital, um, you should probably test, but your wife, her oxygen's super low, we had to put her on oxygen, um, we're, gonna, we're, we're just gonna, keep monitoring her we're going to try to get her better uh we'll keep you updated and so i like okay they're like i'm like what should i do doc he's like just go home don't worry we'll call you so i go home right i have two other kids at home and so my mom's there i'm taking care of the kids i'm at work the next morning it's like 7 a.m i'm i'm doing this power wash i used to power wash for chick-fil-a and so i'm scrubbing their trash cans and all this different stuff i get a call from the doctor and the doctor tells me hey so I brought all these different specialists in and your wife is now completely like, like we have her at 100% oxygen. Like she is like having a hard time breathing. Like she can't breathe on her own. We're gonna have, we're gonna set up a panel and we're gonna talk uh, to all these different specialists and we're gonna, we're gonna decide whether or not we should take the baby because there's some, the, some medication that we can't give her because she's pregnant, right? And we don't know if maybe the baby is uh, not allowing her to breathe, you know, all that pressure on her diaphragm and so we're gonna we're gonna have an emergency c-section and take the baby we'll call you in about an hour right we'll call you in an hour and we'll let you know what we decide and so that whole hour right I'm like I'm like sopping wet right I'm like scrubbing the scrubbing the floor and I'm like crying I'm like god why are you doing this right and so they call me back they're like yeah we got to go into emergency c-section you need to come now so I go to the hospital they're like sorry we can't let you in 
we, we just, we can't let you in, COVID, you know, blah, 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 you can't see your wife. And then the meanwhile, the doctors are calling me from upstairs and they're like, hey, in like 20 minutes, your wife's gonna go into the OR, you need to try to get up here. So I'm like calling all these people. There's literally people in the lobby, like security guards and people fighting because people are trying to get in to see their loved ones. And I was just like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And so I was just like, you know what, God, you know exactly what needs to happen. So I'm just gonna trust you. And so I waited. And then I went to this lady at the front desk. I said, hey, my wife's about to go into the OR. She has COVID. Um, I, tested, I, t- I tested negative. I showed her my test. I said, this is, she's about to have a C-section. Is there any way I can just see her for five minutes before she gets this surgery? And granted, I've seen people get turned away like crazy, right? People fighting. So she, was, she looks at me and she like stops. And she's like, we have like this moment where like our eyes meet, right? And she goes, let me make a call. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? But I'm like so excited, right? So she calls. They're like, you have five minutes. You're going to have to get like the hazmat suit on. And they let me up there. And so I walk up there. She's like blue. Okay, like blue. She's like, oh, I feel fine. Like, you know, she's got like everything like all hooked up. Oh, I feel so good. The doctor pulls me before I step into the room. The doctor pulls me to the side. He says, hey. Um, your wife is not breathing on her own. She's like, this is really, it's not a good situation. If for some reason she stops breathing completely, we're going to have to uh, incubate or intubate. We're going to have to put a tube in her in the OR. So just, just be prepared that like when she comes out, she might be, she might be on a tube. And I was like, what? And then I was like, well, can I go in there with her? They're like, no, you can't come in. And I'm just thinking, man, this is so messed up. Right, this is, this is crazy. Long story short, she goes in, they take the baby, right? And of course, they were right. The baby was pushing down on her diaphragm. So immediately after they take the baby, she's starting to breathe on her own, right? And, and, and we named Eliora. Um, her middle name is Kalia, which means joy in Hawaiian. Eliora means God is my shining light. But then we gave her another... Uh, name after that because of the situation surrounding her birth we named her Jaira which means that God sees me in my in my situation God looks down in his transcendence and he relates with me of what is going on we hear that word Jaira and we hear that word that God provides but it's even more than that is that God empathizes with my situation and so that's where she got her name from and All of us probably have a story like that, where we faced the brokenness of our world, where we face death, suffering, trials, hurt, violence, rejection, abuse. You see, this is not God's design. God did not design us for these things. You see, we all yearn for rest in a world filled of weariness. We all yearn for rest in a world filled with weariness. Uh... Again, we're in a series called Equip for Depth and Restoration in Christ. And together we are learning about the tools that we have, uh, that God has equipped us with, right, to find depth and restoration in our relationship with Christ. 
Today we're going to learn about one of them, which is prayer. Now it's important. We're going to learn that through prayer, the Holy Spirit leads us for sta- from, from a state of groaning to a deep place of rest. You see, that rest that your heart is looking for, God wants to give it to you. And God is the only person and place that you can find that rest. We all are in a state of weariness. Or we're tired. Not necessarily that we, it's not necessarily that we didn't get good sleep last night, but our souls are weary from walking this world, from the, 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 the troubles and the heartache and the weight. We find ourselves weary, burdened, and groaning under the weight of life's challenges. Yet God's word offers us a path from this state of exhaustion to a state of rest, to a place of deep rest, a rest that goes to the very depths of our being. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to look at three steps that we can take from going to groaning to rest. And this is from Romans chapter 8. So step one, here it is. We must embrace the groans of brokenness. We must embrace the groans of brokenness. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can take it and turn it with, uh, to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. We're going to look at a little bit of a bigger passage. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22 for this first verse. It says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's uh, sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know, right, that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And so, I don't have to keep explaining this, right, but we all understand here that we're broken. But that's not how God designed our world. That's not how God designed his creation. If you look at uh, Genesis chapter number one, right, when God is giving the creation account and he's talking about how he uh, uh, created the world, how he spoke the world into existence, right, how he said, let there be light and there was light, how he said, uh, let the firmament separate and let let there be uh, uh, the sun, moon, and stars and the animals and the ocean creatures and all these things. After every single day when God looked at what he made, he said, it is good. It is good. God was pleased and satisfied with his creation. God's intended design for his creation was that it would be good. That's how God designed it. But see, in order for us to have an intimate relationship with God, God had to create us as human beings, the very uh, pinnacle of his creation. He had to create us with the ability to choose, to choose him in love, in perfect love. And so he creates us and we have a choice to make. Are we going to obey God and follow what he says and follow the path that he says is right? Or are we going to choose our way? Are we going to think that we know better than God? And of course, you know the story, Adam and Eve, what do they choose? They choose to follow their own path. And they say, no, we're not going to do what God designed us to do, but instead we're going to rebel against him and we're going to disobey God and his commands. And because of that, brokenness, 
sin, death, hurt enters into the world. It wasn't supposed to be that way. But that's the way it is. And so we find ourselves as a humanity faced with this, that we have an almighty God who wants to know us, who wants to pursue us, who wants to have an intimate relationship with us, but because us and our brokenness, we are separated from him. We can't be in his presence, we can't know him, we can't know the design that he has for us, the perfect design that he created, the relationship that he created. We can't take part in that because we're broken. But God didn't want to leave us that way, right? He, that's what the whole Bible is about. The climax of Scripture is about God solving our problem on our behalf. He sends Jesus, 100% God, right? God in the flesh, but yet he's a human being. He takes on flesh, sinless perfection, and he dies in our place. He pays the penalty of death. He pays the penalty of brokenness so that the relationship between God and man can be restored. And now, because of Jesus in Christ, we can have depth and there can be restoration. Jesus is the answer to our brokenness. And so we see that because of that, there's new life. But just because all of that happens doesn't mean that the suffering just goes away, right? There's some preachers out there that will preach, oh man, if you, if you trust Jesus, your life's going to be easy. They preach, oh, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will suffer persecution, that the world will hate you, that things aren't always going to go right. See, when you're a Christian, your life in a sense in the, the scope of eternality becomes better, but it doesn't become easier, and there's still a broken world. And so as we walk in this world, as we go through life, guess what? There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be downs. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, he's acknowledging it, he's embracing it, right? He's saying, hey, guess what? There is gonna be suffering. But you know what the cool thing is? He doesn't stop there, he doesn't leave it at that. He finishes the verse, he says, that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That's Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did that the, the, our, our bodies, right? He talks about how our bodies are groaning, right? He talks about how creation, not, not, just, not just our bodies, but the actual physical world. God created that to be beautiful and to have design. And literally he's saying that the creation is groaning. Earthquakes, hurricanes, storms, those weren't by God's design. That everything is groaning. There, there's this weariness. But guess what, church? That because of Jesus, there's coming a time where all those things are going to be made into glory. We must embrace the groaning of our brokenness. How does that, how does that equip us for depth and restoration? This is how it does it. We're talking about prayer, right, today. So through prayer, the Holy Spirit 
right? Uh, through prayer, the Holy Spirit helps us, and, and He teaches us, and He guides us. Uh, our, our big idea for today is that we're learning that through prayer, the Holy Spirit leads us from a state of groaning to a place of deep rest. So how does that, how does that influence how we pray? This is how it does that. When we embrace our brokenness, we take a posture, a, a prayer posture of humility. Let me say that again. When we embrace our, 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 the groaning of our brokenness, we take a prayer posture of humility. When we understand our frailty, when we understand who we are, when we understand that we are broken, when we come to God, we're not coming to God with all the answers. We're not coming to God and be like, okay, hey God, this is my three-step plan. Check this out. This is what we're going to do, God. Snap, snap. God's not some genie, right, for us to rub a magic lamp and expect all these things. No, when we come to God in prayer, if we understand and embrace our brokenness, guess what? When we come to God, we come to him in humility, face down, in awe of who he is. When we understand his design, we say, God, you are majesty. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I bow down my face in worship. I embrace my, my frailty, my brokenness. I embrace my humanity. And God, I worship you. That's the posture in prayer that we take when we embrace the groaning of our brokenness. Which leads me to our second step for today. Not only must we embrace the groans of our brokenness, but we must anchor our souls in hope. We must anchor our souls in hope. I love what Paul says here. Look at verse 23, the second half of it. He says, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting adoption. That's a very key word. Adoption is super important. Paul uses this word. Um, it's really, really big. The understanding of what this means is super important. We'll get into that in a second. So eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So now, moving on to verses 23 through 25, Paul shifts his focus, right, to hope. He talks about eager anticipation of being adopted as God's children. Now, let's talk about adoption real quick. It's, a, it's an important idea. When Paul speaks of adoption, okay, what he's talking about here, he's using a word, to, to, uh, uh, like a word image. It's something that's very vivid. He's trying to paint a picture of what God does for us. Okay, it's super important. You see, we were once estranged. He uses a, a wording like we were enemies of God, right? We were foreigners, strangers, aliens. He's having a really, he's using words to make this comparison. So he uses very strong language to what we were before we were in a relationship with God, okay? And so he's saying uh, we, were, uh, uh, we were estranged. We didn't know who he was because of our sin. We were like orphans without a home. We didn't have a home. But God in his boundless love, right, he chooses to adopt us. 
to bring us into his family. And what this means is that he legally says, I want you to be my child. So think of it as there's an orphan or maybe like a slave, uh, a rich ruler comes in. This person has no connection to this family whatsoever. And there's nothing that that person can do to earn that connection, right? But this person comes in and says, no, 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 I'm going to bestow this upon you. I'm going to bring you into my family, which is this idea of sonship. But with that is included not only becoming a child or becoming a part of the family, what it means is now that person is an heir. They get whatever the ruler owns. This is how intricately and how deeply he's bringing them into the family is what, what, what Paul is saying. Is that Paul is saying you've gone from a slave to a son to an heir. You have been adopted into the family of God. And, and this act of adoption is not based on our merits, our works, but solely on God's grace. He says, here, I want to give this to you. It's beautiful. It's an exchange. Our brokenness for his belongings is the idea. So when we talk about eagerly awaiting for our adoption, right, it's like a child waiting, waiting with, with bated breath to fully come home and be with his loving family forever. That's the, that's the picture that Paul wants to drum up in our minds. It's so, so beautiful. He says in 8, uh, 8.23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies, not just our minds and our spirits, but our physical bodies are groaning for that. They're waiting for that adoption because they understand what the inheritance is. Creation understands what the inheritance is. You see, the inheritance is Jesus. It's, it's full, perfect state relationship with God for all of eternity. It's being fully satisfied for all of eternity by, by, the, by the love, the Trinitarian love of God. It's perfection. And our bodies wait for that. Creation groans for that, for that adoption. We're waiting. If I could see it, right? If I could, if I could taste it, if I could hear it, if I could feel it, would it be hope? If I knew, if, if I could grasp onto it, would it be hope? That's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, this is something that we've never experienced. It's beyond our senses. We can't even comprehend it. And so we're, we're hoping in something we've never, ever seen. A lot, of people, a lot of people would say that's foolishness, right? So how does that affect prayer? How does that affect prayer? If we anchor our souls in hope, right? If we anchor our souls in this hope, something we've never seen. In prayer, our prayer posture will be a posture of faith. It'll be a posture of faith. What does Hebrews say, right? Faith is things hoped for, right, and things not seen. And so when we come to God, we're knowing, hey, hey God, I, I know, I, I, I don't understand everything you teach in Scripture. 
I understand, I, don't, I may not see the, the whole picture yet, but this is what I understand. I'm coming to you in humility. I know that this world is broken. I know that I'm broken. And God, I know what your promises in the word say. I know that your word says that you sent Jesus to heal that brokenness. And that one day, everything will be made right. Evil will be judged. And that we will spend eternity with you. And I have faith that that's going to take place. That's the prayer posture. That's how we're coming to God. And then this leads to the, the last step. We embrace the groaning of our brokenness. We anchor our souls in hope. And then this is the, the this part amazed me, church. I was like, man, this is good. The, the, I, Paul knew what he was talking about, man. The Holy Spirit knew exactly what to write. Step three. We must rest in the Holy Spirit's intercession and the Father's perfect will. I'm going to give it to you guys ahead of time before I even go through this. How does this affect prayer? Okay, I'm going to give this to you ahead of time. When we, when we rest in the Holy Spirit's intercession and the Father's perfect will, it leads to a prayer posture of dependence. That's, this is ultimately what's going on here. This is the steps that God wants to see. This is what, what Paul is talking about. How, how our hearts through, how the Holy Spirit through prayer leads us to groaning to rest. The last thing is depending on God. What does he say here? Let's look at the verses together. Verse 26, this is what we read. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. It's cool how you put that there. Because we don't know what to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself, he doesn't send somebody to do it. It's not a TV show or a cool pithy statement or your Bible app. It's the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Now, I want to just take that one verse real quick. This is God in the Spirit saying, you don't know what to pray? On your behalf, I'm going to pray for you. You don't know what you're praying about? You've come to God in humility. You've expressed faith, right? You don't know how it's all going to work out. You don't, know, you don't know what the end of the story is, right? Guess what? I'm going to pray on your behalf. God is praying for you. Jesus, the Bible clearly says that Jesus, the high priest, after he died, he went into heaven and he sits on the right hand of God the Father and he intercedes on your behalf. The Bible makes it very clear that when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit expresses himself with, with groanings on your behalf and he goes to God for you. And then this is what verse 27 says. And he, talking about the Father, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what does that mean? Paul introduces a profound truth, right, about prayer and the role of the Holy Spirit. He begins by saying we can't do it, we don't know, we have frailties, and, and the Spirit's uh, intercession is not limited. It's in, in a language that maybe we don't even understand. But yet he intercedes on our behalf. 
It's so amazing. So church, do we or do we not? It's simple. It's, it's, a, it's a yes or no. In our lives, are we depending or are we not depending on the Holy Spirit? Are we depending or are we not depending on the Holy Spirit? I love this because at the end of verse 27, it says, because he intercedes for the saints so that all of them ha can have really cool Lamborghinis. He says, he intercedes on behalf of the saints so that all of them have perfect lives where they're comfortable, where they pay all their bills on time, where they're killed, their kids are well-behaved and end up going to college and getting good jobs and they live the American dream. No. It doesn't say that. It says, according to the will of God. Now, I'm going to say something that you don't like. Probably. It might upset a few of you. God's will in your life doesn't mean that it's always going to be what you want or that you even like. See, this verse, that in verse 28, is very clear. It's not talking about when it says, uh, let's read it together so we can see this. We know that all things work together for good, uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So, when it's, when it's in this verse, if you want to break it down, if you want to go and look and really study this verse out, what it's saying here, it's not saying that all things are going to work together for good because that idea of good in our minds is totally different than what God thinks, right? So when it's talking about good, what it's talking about is God's eternal good. He explains it in verse uh, 29, that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That you have been chosen to be a, uh, in the likeness of Jesus, right? Remember those bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? Where we would ask, that, uh, ask ourselves that question so that we could live like Jesus, right? This is what God is saying, is that what the will of God is for is to get you more like Jesus. And guess what? Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that doesn't always have a happy ending in this life. But guess what? In eternity to come, it always has a happy ending. Because when we're more like Jesus, God's eternal plan is bigger than any of our plans, any of our wants, any of our desires. And when God's eternal plan happens in our life, trust me, church, that is going to be the best thing that we could ever encounter. We may not understand it on this side of life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have financial hardship. That doesn't mean you're not going to maybe lose a loved one or a child. That doesn't mean that all your friends are going to love you and you're going to be the most popular person. No, what it means is that you're going to be conformed into the image of Jesus because that is God's will for your life. And ultimately, that is the only thing when we are in relationship with God that is going to bring you the deepest satisfaction. A lot of you in here are parents. You know that child that wants to touch the stove, right? They're short-sighted. They want that moment of happiness, that moment of curiosity. But as a parent, you know exactly what's going to happen. You're long-sighted. You, you know what comes next. 
My son, told, my, my son will look at me sometimes and he says, Daddy, I hate you. Maybe one of your parents, one of your kids have said that to you. Maybe when you corrected them. And yet, it's because they don't understand. Yeah, that moment might offer some sort of gratification, right? There might be that hit of dopamine. We might really like the results in that moment. But God, as our Father, knows exactly what we need. And he sees the long game. And he says, in eternity, you being conformed into the likeness of Jesus is better than anything that you can have on this world, even the good things that he created. And so ultimately, they're just all tools. Yes, we can enjoy them, but they're tools to conform us to the image of his son. And so we're, we're standing there, we're praying, God, we're broken. I'm broken. I'm frail. I've sinned. I've messed up. I take a posture of humility. But God, oh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your reckless love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, I'm not as smart as you. I don't know what the long, what, what, what all the details are, but God, I trust that you are good and that your plans are good and that your promises are true. I take a posture of faith and God, I trust you. I rest. Holy Spirit, intercede on my behalf. I don't even know how to come to God. This situation is so big. It's so weighty. It's so daunting. It's so, there's so much pressure and I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to go to you on my behalf and whatever the outcome is, I know that you're a good father and that it's according to your perfect will and that I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest. And so church, we can go from groaning to rest in prayer through the Holy Spirit. If you're in here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I implore you? Can I urge you? Can I plead with you? you say, I don't even know what following Jesus looks like. I don't know where to start. Can I, can I urge you that today, after the service, we have some prayer partners that are going to be up front. If you've never made the decision of following Jesus, you don't even know what it looks like. You want to talk to somebody. You're saying, man, I, I want to know who Jesus is. Um, maybe the Holy Spirit's stirring your heart. There's going to be some prayer partners up front after the service. Just go up to one of them and just be like, hey, I need Jesus. Then you're going to know exactly what you mean, and they're going to walk with you and show you how you can come into a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're already following Jesus, I want to challenge you in your prayer life to take a posture of humility before the Lord, to take a posture of faith, and to take a posture of dependence, because it's only in Him, right, that we are going to find rest. We're going to go into a little exercise right now. The worship team is going to come up, and they're going to play a little bit of music before we take communion. Um, and I just want to do something with you guys. It's called, uh, before we, want, we respond in communion, I want to do a short little exercise. It's called a responsive reading. 
And what this is, is just to get you to engage and to think of the words of this verse. And I want you to think of the rest that God is wanting to give us. You see, the Bible describes us as sheep and God as a shepherd. And you guys probably all know this verse, Psalm 23. Um, it's a really famous verse. But I really, I really believe that it depicts the rest that one day as we follow Jesus, the rest that is for now, that's coming, that, that you can have today, right, when, we, when the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and we have the Father's perfect will, and in eternity to come when we get to be with God forever. And so what we're going to do is we're going to stand together onto our feet, and we're going to read Psalm 23, and this is how it's going to work. I'm going to read the first section, uh, the first line. It's going to say speaker, right? And then it's going to have what the congregation used to say. It's going uh, to have that next, that next phrase, okay? And so we're going to go through the entire psalm. If you know it by heart, you can close your eyes. I really want you to have a, a, a heart of prayer and reflection. And so we're going to stand together on our feet as the band plays. And I'm going to start us off by reading this first part, and then you're gonna read the part that says congregation. We'll try to do this together, okay? Here we go, ready? Let's begin, um, I'll read the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He renews my life. Even when I go through the darkest valley, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Only your goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your radical love, your relentless love. God, we thank you that you pursue us. We thank you that you heal our brokenness. God, you don't leave us in our brokenness, but you, 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 you come and you rescue us. Like uh, we read this morning from Zephaniah, that you are our rescuer, God, that you come down to us and you take us, like David said, from that miry clay, from that pit. And God, you set us on high ground. We can trust you. You're dependable. God, we can depend on who you are and that you intercede on our behalf and that we don't have to be weary. We don't have to be tired and exhausted. But God, that we can find rest in this life, but more importantly, we can find rest in you in the life to come. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.